Hi, this is Dustin Hobbs from the California NBA. Welcome to Connect, our monthly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. As you know, this month, uh, while everyone's uh, stuck at home, uh, going through their Netflix and Hulu queues, uh, we're trying to do our best to provide some uh, additional content, some bonus content. So each week we featured a, a bonus episode of Connect. And this week, I'm excited, we're going to be welcoming in Clint Rockwell. Uh, he's managing partner at uh, Buckley's uh, LA firm. And Clint's been involved with the California NBA for many years, uh, top-notch attorney in the industry, well-known throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, nation. And uh, he's been a good friend to our association. I'm excited to hear what he has to say about the industry, where we're at, and sort of the, uh, there's been, to say the least, a bit of uh, government regulatory activity over the last uh, few weeks. And, and Clint's been on top of that. So uh, let's jump in here, Clint. Uh, let's first, before we get into the, the specifics of uh, some of the legislation and regulatory activity that uh, we've seen out there, what's your journey, your own personal journey from uh, you know, how you got started in the, in the, uh, in the business and, and sort of how you came to uh, where you're at now at uh, Buckley? Yeah, um, thanks, Dustin. Um, so I, uh, I think, you know, I, I don't know if anybody goes to law school saying I want to be a mortgage regulatory lawyer. I don't think that's a common first year uh, uh, refrain. Um, how I came into it was uh, uh, in law school, I kind of gravitated um, towards um, more financial focus, more um, uh, 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 less litigation, kind of more uh, uh, complex um, statutory type uh, subject matters. And then after law school, I did a uh, I did an LLM in the regulation of financial markets, where I really got interested in kind of at a macro level how financial markets are regulated and how uh, different levers can be used to cause certain market behaviors um, from happening or not happening. And, you know, I fell into a great opportunity with Jerry Buckley and Joe Kohler and a number of folks that I continue to work with today. Uh, and it's I stuck with it because it's one of the areas that it, in the law where it's just always intellectually challenging. There's always some new regulation. There's always some uh, new approach, um, new ideas from the business, uh, and they need to get operationalized. They need to get uh, have have go go through thorough issue spotting. Um, and there's always always something interesting uh, uh, whenever you you know go into into work. I like I like the fact that when I go in, I don't necessarily know what the questions are going to be. Uh, and I also like that um, there's always something new. That it's not just you know it's not just doing the the same the same thing every day. And there's different parts. There's you know tactical. There's strategic. There's policy. You know, um, and everything in between. And it's 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 a part of the financial market that is so important to not only the economic system in the United States as a whole, but also to individual people's lives. Um, you know, this is the biggest purchase they're likely to ever make in their life. It is the foundation not only for their economic health, but also for you know their 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 family and the the place that they congregate. And having all of those touch points and the financial, uh, uh, economic policy, uh, legislative issues that intersect with that market is um, it's a it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting and rewarding practice. Yeah, I don't know too many. I can't imagine there's too many 
uh, sort of sectors of uh, industry that look so unrecognizable from one even like at this point like every you know five years it seems like you could go back and it just it, it's a completely different world than it was before um so speaking it, of it does tend to get remade every once in a while um and and with each you know new administration there's new priorities and that changes that has a trickle effect as well yeah well i think you know it's certainly in in um um, contrast to how uh, some other world markets handle things. I mean, we've got not only the, all the regulators at the federal level, but then you've got, you know, 50 state regulators. And even amongst the states, you've got multiple regulators and, and uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's yeah, a few numbers, have, as you put it. We, we deal, you know, with all kinds of different, um, different clients from all kinds of different backgrounds. And it's funny, the international clients, the ones from the UK or Germany um, uh, or uh, elsewhere that come in, and they are just like aghast. They can't believe the kind of system we have. And it's just like, guys, this is federalism. Get used to it. Yeah. If you want to be in this market, uh, you just have to navigate it. And oh, oh it's not efficient. You know, it's no. not a lot of things, you know, that they're used to um, or unified or consistent um, or any of those things. But um, that's part of what makes it very interesting. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Common Law 101 will tell you it's not meant to be efficient. It's meant to yeah. be, you know, <laughs> incremental to say the least. That's the best way to put it is incremental. Um, so what's on the uh, front pages of every newspaper these days, front uh, page of every news site is obviously the uh, continuing fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, what's your sense on how it's affecting the, uh, we've asked mortgage bankers, we've asked some tech companies, how is it affecting the, the legal community? You know, like everybody else, it's, you know, getting to the new normal. Um, there's, uh, and how it, you know, legal, the legal industry is so varied. I mean, you know, even our own firm, there's, you know, enforcement, litigation, and regulatory, and much bigger firms have, you know, um, and we have transactional and other things, but bigger firms have different groups that do different things. And I think it hits each of those groups um, very, very differently. I think, you know, as far as litigation is concerned, a lot of things are being, you know, extended out. Um, but in the regulatory practice, which is, you know, most of what I do, um, it's been, uh, it's shifted in terms of that priority and the type of questions that we're getting. Um, but it hasn't, it's not slowed, at least not yet. I think a lot of folks in the legal industry have been bracing for or felt that slowdown. Um, and, you know, it really kind of is unique to the practice that you have and that you're doing. Um, uh, but, you know, because there's so much guidance coming out and it's happening so fast and a lot of the guidance doesn't, you know, it's solving a very specific problem or set of problems. But there's all of this infrastructure and systems in place that it affects and because it's happening so fast and the usual policy making process isn't able to function because it's happening so quickly it has a lot of unintended consequences or consequences that you know that um that that people didn't necessarily foresee and that brings with it regulatory uncertainty regulatory issues um and we're reacting to that um in the in the mortgage uh in the mortgage context um especially in the servicing context. But even, you know, when this first started, I mean, just how do you deal with an appraisal? How do you deal with an inspection? You know, just the normal processes that have been, you know, the normal process for so long 
um, dealing with that and having those steps be either adjusted um, in a way that they haven't been before, um, but having that need be acute for them to occur, all of that has uh, risk implications, it has practical implications, and as outside counsel, um, we get a lot of those a lot of those questions. And part of you know the being in a law firm where you have lots of folks like ours that do uh, that are involved in uh, a lot of the same things. Uh, we don't just have you know one mortgage regulatory lawyer. We have many of them. Um, part of this challenge uh, in this new environment is coordinating the advice. Um, because there isn't, you know, a 20-year history for how you answer this RESPA question. Sure. It's, um, it's all happening very, very quickly. Yeah, well, and what's amazing to me is uh, there's been so much activity at the same time that the industry, I mean, it'd be hard enough and difficult enough if it was, you know, in a sense, you know, industry running at, you know, sort of normal, no, whatever normal capacity is these days, but, you know, we're at, you know, full capacity, oh, everyone's yeah. pipeline is just bursting, and then suddenly we get all this activity. So, you know, sort of looking well, back maybe on the last have, couple of weeks. Go yeah, ahead. and then you have different parts of that market react, having to react differently based on investor demands and other things. And even the, you know, uh, the, the borrower or the, you know, applicant's situation is so dynamic right now because maybe they were furloughed. Maybe, you know, there's all kinds of things that are happening and you just don't know from one day to the next. Um, and dealing with that, you know, Dealing with QMs is going to be very different than dealing with non-QMs with that investor market. All of that is affected by the capital markets issue uh, and price, you know, and, and setting the locks and having all those swings occurring to such the to such an extent as they are now is um, it's it's challenging, not only for you know the industry but also to provide sound um, legal advice in a very very rapidly changing environment. Yeah. So, you know, to that uh, rapidly changing environment, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, taking into account maybe all the the uh, regulatory activity and, and uh, legislative activity that we've seen, what do you think, what do you see as the most significant uh, either way, you know, good or bad? In terms of the, in terms of kind of the policy actions that have happened, I mean, so, uh, I mean, obviously I think the CARES Act is, is, is the, 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 the 800 pound gorilla um uh i mean it's uh, intended to kind of stabilize those uh you know workers families small businesses um that are the foundation uh that you know that is dependent upon to you know buy a house make them your mortgage payment and all of that so I, i'd have to say that you know the cares act and the i guess today uh yeah. uh extension of of that um, of that assistance as being the most significant um, uh, but you know it's it's an interesting just from a you know from a from a policy standpoint it's a very interesting uh, piece of legislation and then kind of the follow-on effects are interesting because unlike the last time around that we have we, you know we're in a uh, a crisis mode, um, where moral hazard was the order of the day and everybody was thinking about, okay, you know, we want to stabilize these markets, but we don't want to incentivize um, bad behavior um, going forward. Um, uh, how, do we, how do we balance those? Because this is a complete externality 
that was not inherent in the credit markets at all. This is not the credit market's fault. This is not you know, the financial system's fault. This is not about any of those levers that, um, that you know, were adopted by Dodd-Frank and were put in place uh, to stress test. Um, because this is such an externality, the approach is different. And how that approach, you know, I, I don't think we've, pumping this amount of money through these systems as fast as it is being pumped through has an amazing amount of, you know, of potential for issues, legal issues. Um, and also, to, I mean, from the, you know, big corporations all the way down to, you know, uh, all the way down to uh, a sole proprietorship. And, you know, it's going to remain to be seen how that all, that all works out. And we're just, we, we aren't even, I don't think we're capable of figuring out how all of that fits together right now. There's just so much happening um, uh, uh, with even just this one, you know, it's a significant piece of legislation, but it's only one of a patchwork of a lot of different pieces that are designed to solve similar problems. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. We're going to be, I think that it's going to, we always kind of say, uh, and I know uh, you regulatory guys like to talk about, you know, when the dust settles, I mean, the dust is going to take a long time to settle from even just like you said, just from the CARES Act. Um, so looking forward, what do you, where else do you see that uh, policymakers and regulators can be taking action to sort of mitigate the damage that uh, um, is being caused right now to the economy? Um, well, I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's going to have to be not very specific assistance to the non-bank community um, in the liquidity, in, in, in the in the area of liquidity, um, because you know it's just a very different model, and um, you know the the government has issued um, you know a lot of guidance that is specific to banks, um, and um, non banks are you know the potential for non banks to suffer a cash crunch because it's they're at the end of a daisy chain of you know of warehouse or investor or whatever, right? That kind of brings that, you know, along for them. They don't they don't have the luxury of having a deposit base um, to catch, you know, to catch their fall. And so I think that, you know, there's gonna have to be some, you know, significant attention on that part. Because if you if you look at the delivery model, even for you know PPP, um, a lot of that, you know, a lot of that's flowing through when the rubber hits the road to the actual borrower um, through through non-banks. And, you know, there's going to be, I think there's there's a little bit of a hole there. And in the mortgage context, you know, servicers are, you know, they're going to have a cash crunch as well. Um, and that's, you know, and they're having it. And that's going to be, a, I think, a significant, uh, significant thing to address. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You're totally right. That I mean, within the in the news and all that, whenever they refer to financial institutions and banks, it's you know always the depository banks that uh, you know is the first thing that comes to your mind. And I know everyone in in our industry has, I'm sure, had to explain to someone outside the industry, a friend or a colleague or a family member, at some point or another, the difference between those two and why it is such a huge difference. And like you said, it's a different the non-depository independent you know the imb is a completely different animal so you, I, you make a good point they do need some attention at some point here soon um yeah. so speaking think, of liquidity I mean, I think the thing about at the dust settling is going to be there's so much at the state level and the local level in terms of guidance 
And because it was rolled out so quickly, some of it doesn't have the force of law. A lot of these things are encouraged rather than required. And there, that leaves a, a big potential for kind of Monday morning quarterbacking on, um, well, why didn't you, why did you, you know, why did you adopt this policy in connection with this issuance and not that in connection with that issuance? And I think that the, you know, those opportunities for, um, for interpretation um, and, you know, issuing that kind of guidance in that fashion, although speedy, does leave um, uh, members of the industry open for future challenge. Yeah. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we had, uh, I mean, everyone was aware of this. I mean, we had major uh, um, liquidity crisis that really threatened, threatened the uh, existence of the industry. I mean, it was that sort of an existential threat um, for a few days there. Do you think that we've sort of solved that issue or do policymakers need to go back? Is there you know, still work that needs to be done to you know, maybe uh, tamp down some of the uncertainty? I mean, I think that there, the uncertainty level is still too high. I think we've saw that the, you know, the whipsaw of the rates was solved, which kind of calmed everything down. But um, you know, I think that it has the opportunity to come back in relatively short order um, if the fundamentals aren't, aren't addressed. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it's still, do you think it's a, like a margin call issue still, or is it just a, um... no, I, I, I think, you know, I, I think it, it, it all depends on, on how the capital markets are, um, uh, react, right? If we have a, a really bad news cycle and, you know, things start tanking again, um, then that, you know, and, and then the, the feds pump money into the system that creates that, you know, sign curve that you know created so many so many problems well and it makes me wonder too when uh, everyone does kind of go back to work in this fall we're inevitably going to have another you know a surge if you will of uh, um, coronavirus uh, illnesses i mean it's just a, a fact i mean we can't have the numbers go down for so long like we want them to and then when right. everyone's you know sheltered in place but eventually when we come out there's going to be more illnesses so it does make you wonder if uh, you know capital markets can be prepared to take, in a sense, sort of a that initial rush of bad news that will come out. Well, I mean, there are certain things can be. You know, you could have, you know, you could walk, you could step away from a lock situation. But then, you know, you have the opportunity. You know, then, you know, your competitor who's doing locks has it. You know, it's just is it, that level of uncertainty. Uh, it really does require some some, some guidance. Yeah. Okay. Well, switching gears here, what are, where do you think we stand right now? I know different states and municipalities have all issued, you know, some form or another of uh, uh, forbearance and foreclosure, uh, eviction moratoria. Where do we stand with that? I mean, it's sort of a, a mixed bag from my point of view. Where, where do we stand from yours? Yeah. So, well, I mean, California has, um, you know, their issuances, but it's a little bit all over the place uh, in different states. And you know, keeping track. One of the one of the issues um, that you know we're seeing is that states, you know, adopted a particular set of encouraged standards, and then they've been replaced um, uh, maybe once, maybe twice, um, because they were set to sunset or whatever. Um, but they're not really telling anybody. <laughs> so so keeping track you know of of all of those moving pieces is is a challenge and then you know how to structure whether it's capitalized and 
you know, is this a product that's going to be sold to Fannie or Freddie, and then how those rules overlay on the local rules. It's all um, it's all a little uh, difficult to keep track of, um, but um, you know, it's it's just a matter of stacking up, you know, the various buckets that you have and figuring out, you know, how to triage each one and come up to a as a consistent response as as possible. Yeah. Well, and it makes me wonder too. I mean, it's you know terrifying enough to try to handle that if you had a, a large compliance department. Um, but I mean, if you're a small IMB with you know maybe just a couple or a handful of people on your compliance and, and regulatory team, I mean, it's going to be a huge challenge. So I was you know we uh, talked about this, but I, I'm curious to know you guys have a uh, regulatory tracker that you've developed over there at Buckley. I think I would imagine for this very purpose to help folks sort of keep track of what's going on because, like you said, there are just there. Are buckets everywhere of uh, um, different standards and whether they're competing or whether they change over time. I mean, tell me a little bit about uh, what you guys uh, have developed there. Yeah, well, I mean, what we what we were finding was, you know, we were doing kind of what everybody else was doing, which is we were keeping track of these issuances ha as they came and doing kind of a reverse cron situation of most recent first. And um, and and then when we got to like number of three hundred and eighty. Uh, we, we said this is not this is not gonna work. Um, and so what we did instead was um, we have this uh, we have this technology arm that we've been um, that we've been building for the last couple of years called Winnow. And we got a couple of those folks in to try to organize the information that we had into a database. And we summarized each, each of the uh, each, each of the issuances, and then we organized them so that um, I can you know very specifically look at you know what license you know what licenses I have, my institution type, uh, the regulatory bot body that I'm interested in. Am I looking for federal stuff? Am I looking for stuff from Fannie or Freddie or from different you know each different state? The type of guidance. You know, if I'm an originator, I really only care about origination guidance. I don't really care about, um, you know, the collection guidance. So, uh, you know, for everything from licensing, origination, servicing, loan mod, collection, foreclosure, all of that stuff, you can kind of pinpoint, you know, that. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, the guidance level. Is it something I have to do or is it something they want me to do? Um, uh, and then the type of product. So we don't we're not only covering mortgage, we're also covering consumer, auto, student, uh, commercial, unsecured. Um, and is it, so is that available, the link to check that out, is that on the Buckley website? It is, yeah, you can get at it from, from uh, the Buckley website. You could also go directly to covid.wino.law to check it out. And since this is for the CNBA, actually California, we, we have outside the paywall, so you can just look at California all you want. Um, well, hey. Uh, for all the California lenders out there, you have no excuse, not to, <laughs> yeah, no excuse. To, as much as you can be on top of what's going on. Yeah, and it's a challenge because it, it, it does require an update, you know, updating every day because we're finding, you know, things are getting replaced and um, and it changes and it changes the answer. Yeah, well, it seems like in some ways, you know, within the industry on the marketing side, there's always talk about how to break through the the clutter and the noise. But at this point, when every regulator in the country is, you know, issuing guidance at the same time, it's almost like from their perspective, they're thinking, how can I break through the clutter so it doesn't just become a press release yeah, that gets lost? Data, and, you know, otherwise, it's a data dump. You know, it's just this yeah. how and where do we even start? Um, so that that was the objective anyway, was to try to try to help with that. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, switching gears a little bit again, um, we've talked about the regulatory, the um, uh, policy level stuff. At some point or another, obviously, we're in it. A lot of these, uh, um, a lot of the guidance and the and the policy stuff here is going to turn into the litigation. Where do you see sort of maybe the first wave of that? What will be, you know, sort of maybe the topics covered? You know, what do you see as the near future for uh, litigation? Yeah, in in terms of kind of the litigation um, that I see kind of coming down the pike here, which, I mean, how can you not? How how can you pump this much money through the system and not have? a lot of litigation kind of on the back end. I mean, you're already seeing some of these, you know, clash actions uh, that look at prioritization for PPP, right? Um, but I think there's gonna be a lot of fraud actions. I think there's gonna be a lot of false claims. I mean, we saw that in the last crisis, there was a lot of false claims actions. Um, uh, I think, you know, and those have kind of died down. Um, there really hasn't been uh, a lot of those in the last few years um on the front on the on the false claim side um and i think there's going to be a lot of udap there's going to be a lot of udap with one a and a lot of udap with two a's and it kind of goes to that issue uh that i mentioned of encourage versus required so at the state level you know even you know something you know is encouraged well if you don't do it is that a udap you know what's the signal yeah. there right um and the other issue the other issue that that, that i see is that even kind of, you know, accepted practices that have been traditional accepted practices, because the environment is so different and so acute um, now, there are certain things that in normal times would not be looked at twice. And because this is such a unique environment that there could be UDAP litigation around those, 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 those practices, you know, payment accommodations and how they were processed and certain fees, right? I mean, you can't go down the street and put the money in the lockbox. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, simple things. Um, I think, you know, uh, my, I would say, if you're looking kind of around the corner of, you know, where could this, where could this, uh, where could the bullets be fired from? I think, you know, looking at your traditional practices, things that you might not have thought much about in the last few years, and then kind of lay those on to, well, what's the current environment? How are those affected? Should I be thinking about those differently? Um, because I think that there's going to be some some litigation around that. And I think, you know, fair lending, I think it's going to be, you know, a big deal um, handling how modification and forbearance requests are processed. I mean, all of those fair lending issues and standards, uh, which are very hard to implement in in the environment that we're in because it's so fast, you know, all of those are are going to be ripe for litigation. Um, and then, you know, FDCPA, TCPA, how you reach out to people um, uh, is is also, I think, ripe for for litigation after we get you know around the corner on this. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the TCPC, uh, TCP stuff, uh, I know, is just so specific on you know communication with borrowers and i mean a lot of this guidance yeah i mean if you're using an auto dialer yeah use an auto dialer to reach out to people to ask whether they need help i mean yeah. that could be a tcb yeah yeah totally i I'm, I'm curious just like you i think where where things go and how courts interpret that that'll be curious to see coming forward so speaking of uh litigation then what would be your if you had one piece of uh, sort of pro bono advice to provide for uh, the industry out there, what would it be? I mean, I, I, I guess I would focus on that UDAP issue. 
you know, everybody has their own, you know, modus operandi for how they do their business. And taking and and we're all, you know, we're all focused on reacting. Wait, for clarification, just for folks who may not be familiar, that UDAP, you want can you uh, define that real quick? Yeah, unfair, deceptive acts um, or abusive uh, practices. Um, so, you know, basically every state has their own UDAP law. Um, and then the CFPB has a UDAP with an extra A, which adds abusive. And the FTC has Section 5 of the FTC Act. And they all kind of sit around, you know, unfair, deceptive, and abusive um, practices. And it's, it's a little bit of an eye in the beholder kind of issue. And um, so I would, I would focus on, you know, kind of stepping back a little bit to the extent it's possible at all from the deluge and looking at, you know, your, 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 your practices, even those that have been um, traditionally uh, accepted and just look at it from, you know, the unique moment in time we're in um, from that UDAP lens of, is this fee, you know, is this the, should I be charging this right now? Or should I, you know, and maybe the answer is yes, and that's fine. But even answer, asking that question, I think, um, uh, uh, will help um, because I, you know, I think that there's some, you know, significant risks that could arise later um, when people are second guessing, um, you know, the, uh, the 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 approaches that are being adopted, kind of in this in this uh, very, you know, uh, difficult environment. Yeah, difficult to say the least. Um, so, I mean, one thing that's also been difficult is, uh, you know, if you're, especially for those who are maybe younger in the industry and don't have established um, connections yet, or they're still working on establishing those connections. And I know, you know, we've got folks in our, our business that have been in for, you know, 30 years and they're still, you know, building their business and still see networking as, as crucial. Um, but obviously right now we're not able to host in-person networking events or, you know, there's no more cocktail hours right now. So what, if you had any advice for, you know, especially someone younger in the industry on how to basically how to plug into the industry right now, what, what would it be? I mean, I mean, it kind of depends on where you're coming from, right? If you're in the, the law part, if you're in the kind of the industry part, um, uh, the policy part. Um, but I think, you know, sign up for webcast newsletters, try to be present on, you know, those Zoom and other visual uh, media opportunities um, uh, and, and, and try to engage and then, you know, reach, make sure that you have, um, you're engaged at a point where you can reach out to the people that you're interacting with, with for further dialogue. Um, I, it's very hard right now, um, to, to do that. Um, uh, but, you know, I mean, what, what the CNBA and the NBA are doing, um on you know on the on the online events and so forth i mean i think everybody's having to react um where i mean as a law firm it's 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 uh it's tough to kind of keep everybody um everybody uh visible and make sure you people don't get lost behind their behind their uh behind their computer screens um but you know this is kind of where we're at and you know if you can figure out ways to engage through those media reach out um to past and connections as well and those new connections i think that's the best anybody can do right now yeah well and i'll just add from an association standpoint and this probably goes for most other uh trade associations and certainly um you know those in our space 
that, I mean, we are absolutely doing as much as we can to provide as much content as we can. And if you're a member of, a, of an association like the California NBA, you've already paid for it. So get involved, you know, email or call or text or something. One of the, uh, you know, the folks at that association say, hey, I want to get plugged in. How do I either speak on a webinar? How do I, you know, if I want to be thought of as a thought leader on a certain topic, how can I submit an article for publication in a newsletter or a magazine or something? So I think you're right. It's just a matter of plugging yourself in. Um, so closing us out here, um, I, you know, this is, I could have an entire webinar or entire uh, uh, interview talking about just this topic because it's so interesting to me because my background prior to here, I was, I worked in the California state legislature as a staffer and that's my, in a sense, one of my passions. And so um, it's advocacy. And so from your perspective, someone who's in the, you know, policy weeds on a daily basis, um, what would be your advice or your, you know, um, what would you say to someone in the industry, maybe who didn't see the, the value in advocacy, especially groups like the California NBA or the National NBA that do um, advocacy work? What's your, you know, what would be your pitch to them as far as why they should care about advocacy and how it affects them? Yeah, well, I mean, look, and preaching to the choir a little bit since you, know, you and I are the only one on the on the call here, but I mean, I can say that, you know, if if you were doubting the value of something like you know the cnba or the nba this is the moment right this is the moment where that all kind of becomes very evident that there is tremendous value because you know mobilization of the issues to provide feedback gives a voice to the policymakers that are dealing in real time you know i mean if you're if you're a policymaker if you're in the governor's office um, these are the, who, who are they going to reach out to? I mean, they're going to reach out to the CNBA. You know, they're not going to necessarily pull, you know, a thousand mortgage bankers to figure out what they have to do at 8 p.m. that day. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to try to find that, you know, that fulcrum and they're going to try to, you know, get as much information as they can to make the best decision that they can in real time. And, you know, having the opportunity to have that connection uh, to the industry group and provide feedback and provide ideas, that's how it finds its way into policy uh, in real time, like we are right now. I mean, the other, the, I mean, the other thing, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, on, you know, on the advocacy work is sometimes you don't want to be the person raising your hand either. Sometimes you don't want to be the one on the phone spending, you know, three hours on the phone with the, uh, with, you know, your, your congressman and having, you know, having a trade association that can, you know, gather those, uh, that feedback and deliver it in uh, to willing listeners is, is an important, is a very important part of where we are right now. So I would, I'd say that, you know, it's a, it's, it's just critical. Yeah. Well, and like you said, if this doesn't convince you that uh, advocacy is an important thing right now, then you are, you know, you are asleep at the wheel. Um, hey, Clint, thanks for the uh, thanks for the time today. That's uh, all we've got uh, for this episode. Of Connect. Uh, make sure and uh, uh, check out what uh, Clint's doing at the uh, firm's websites, BuckleyFirm.com, and make sure to check out their uh, regulatory check regulatory tracker there and uh, keep up to date on all the changes that. Uh, we're seeing in the regulatory and policy front. So thanks again, Clint, and uh, we'll you see you next time on Connect. I appreciate it. Take care.